Well, good morning, everybody. As Jeff said, I am John, and I am one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're here. It, it, I'm excited to be able to share with you today, and those of you online, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, <coughs> it's uh, wonderful to be here back with you. Many of you know my wife Sue and I just returned from a 30-day Amtrak adventure. <laughs> and we, we did the coasts and a little bit in the Midwest. We saw parts of the country we'd never seen before by train. Seattle, San Francisco, and St. Albans Bay, Vermont. Has anybody ever been to St. Albans Bay, Vermont? We actually had one person in the first service that had been. Uh, but we had, a, we had an awesome time. One of the weekends we spent in New York City. And when Sue and I were walking around New York City, I was surprised that I had memories flooding back to me from 50 years ago when I was a 19-year-old college student doing a summer mission project, six weeks in New York City serving with the Billy Graham team, and six weeks in Newark, New Jersey working with a nonprofit uh, working for racial reconciliation. Uh, as we were walking around New York, I had I'd, I'd find places that I would, had been 50 years ago, and it just struck me how much, how formative that was for me as a brand new beginning follower of Jesus. Uh, I met people on the Graham team and in this nonprofit that had been following Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years, and they were so kind to me, so encouraging, such good people. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be like these people when I grow up. I would like to be a, a, a kinder and more encouraging and better version of myself. Aren't you, wouldn't you like say with me, hey, we're, we're, we're hoping for that too. <laughs> anyway, uh, thankfully God has helped me make progress, but there's a whole lot more progress to come. They had been living a very fruitful life for many, many years. And I wondered as a young kid, how do you live a fruitful life over the long haul? How do you remain fruitful in every season of life? You know, there are, there are mountaintop seasons. How many like those? Like you're looking over, you got vision, you're excited, you know, da-da-da. And then there are valley seasons. How many like those? Yeah, I'm not seeing many hands here. I don't either. But you know, there are things you only learn in the valley that you can't learn on the mountaintop. And the good news, and, and uh, let me just take one little step back here. Can we say thank you to all the worship folks that have lead us week in and week out? Can you give them a hand? I know some of them aren't here, some of them are out there. Uh, I was really struck this morning as we were singing. The, the, the primary note that kept coming to me was the note of hope in all of those songs. In that first song, you know, you don't have to lose heart. I've been singing that for about two months uh, in my house, uh, wanting it to soak into me. And I just encourage you, you don't have to lose heart. I know we've been all been knocked down. I know this has been a really rough couple years, rougher for some of you than others, but really rough for all of us in one way. God doesn't want you to lose heart. He wants to strengthen your heart. He wants to bring hope to you. He wants to do that today. He wants to do that every single day. 
how do you how do you remain fruitful in every season of life? Uh, when I was in New York back 50 years ago, I got to get into a leaders meeting with Billy Graham because I was part of the team, and uh, somebody asked him that very question: How do you live a a very fruitful life your whole life long, Billy. And he said a few things, and I'm going to talk about some of those today. He said, well, I read the Bible regularly, and his pattern was he'd read the Psalm of the day and the Proverb of the day. That would be Psalm 17 and Proverbs 17 today. Uh, he read some from the New Testament, the Gospels and the letters, some from the Old Testament, and I thought, oh, my Lord, that's a lot. I don't know if I can do all of that. But I began to do the Psalm and the Proverb and the Gospel part, and now I do more than that. But I've been doing that for 53 years, and it is so energized and helped me. Now, I say every day, sometimes I'm doing it at 11.58. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I try to do it because I need it. I need hope. I need the promises of God. I need to be able to believe them and reach out for them and see them work in my life. I'm grateful that they have. Read the Bible regularly, you said. Pray. Find good friends who will both challenge you and encourage you. And love and serve people everywhere you go as long as you can. And so I, I still remember those four things. And I've been trying to live those out by the grace of God ever since. Here's some promises for us. Psalm 1. Now, this is not going to show up on your screen. We, we, our pattern here at River Heights, you send your manuscript by Friday morning at 8 a.m. Janet is wonderfully reminds me of that often because sometimes it's gotten there later than 8 a.m. Anyway. Uh, so I've got stuff that's coming up on the screen, but some of the stuff came to me this morning when I was sitting on my couch reading, drinking some coffee. Psalm 1 is a great promise. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and night, 24-7. And they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Wouldn't, would you like that kind of life where you can bear fruit in every season? You never wither. You prosper in everything you do. Friends, that's the promise of God. That's what God wants for your life and mine every season. Now, that means when, whether you're young or in the middle of life, or in what people affectionately call the mature years. Yeah, I'd like to be more mature as I live in the mature years, right? <laughs> Wouldn't we all? So those of you that are young here, Paul tells Timothy, his young friend, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. What about for those of us who are in the mature years or on the older side? Well, Psalm 92 says this, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. That's like Old Testament language for they're part of the community of God's people. They're you who commit yourselves to being not alone in this journey, but together with God's people. They flourish. Friends, you know, Sue and I, you know, Sue was doing this before I met her, which is one of the things that, like, drew me to her was that she was, she loved Jesus, and she, she would have loved Jesus the rest of her life if she'd never met me, and I knew that, and that was confidence to me. I think she's loved him more since she met me. Is that right? 
And I've loved him more because I met you. But together, we, we have been, we, we wanted to live a flourishing life. Truth be told, we, got married. we didn't even know what that was, but we wanted it. <laughs> and God has done way more than we could ever imagine. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. Can I tell you, that's super important. You know, because as I get older, I turn 72 this month, um, and uh, grateful for that. You know, soon I've gone through a lot of things in our life. A lot of great things, a lot of hard things. And I have many, many friends that have gone through hard things. Friends, going through hard things will either make you better or bitter. The big key is, do you go through them with Jesus and his people? Because God's at work in every season for our good and for the good of all of those around us. And that's what I want us to think about today. How can we live a really fruitful life in the season of life we're in right now? Because that's the only one you can live in right now, right? I remember when Sue and I had really young kids, uh, and uh, we had progressively more young kids. <laughs> the longer we were married. Uh, you know, we tried to figure out how in the world do we, like, pray? How, how in the world do we, like, you know, <laughs> how do we ever go on a date? Uh, I mean, lots of questions, you know, like, what do you do when you're loving and raising young kids? And a really wise older person said, you need to enjoy the season you're in. God's got really good things for you in the season you're in, and he's with you there. So I'll, I'll give you the preview of what I'm going to be encouraging and challenging you to do today is give God the season that you are in and let him work in you. Last week, my friend Steve Nicholson was here, and toward the end of the service, he, he talked about this wonderful community of Moravian believers in uh, Germany, Czechoslovakia, that where the Holy Spirit fell powerfully on them in 1727, and they began to pray, and they prayed for 100 years crazy, a sustained move of God. And, they, and people went from that community all over the world to the forgotten people of the world to share the love of Jesus with them. Ah, oh, awesome. I was so stirred. At the end, he says, I want you now to ask the Holy Spirit, what does he want you to send, surrender? What does he want you to give to him? And so I'm quiet, trying to do that, and I ask God, well, what do you want me to give to you? And I felt like he said, I want you to give your retirement to me. And I thought, uh, I thought I was. Thought I was. Uh, thought I was. Thought I was being a good boy. Uh, I mean, come on. Uh, and I felt like he said, "You are," but I, I want you to surrender it all because I have so much for you in this season of your life. When I was approaching seventy, when I was approaching sixty, you know, twelve years ago, I saw sixty everywhere. I saw Highway sixty, Sixtieth Street. I saw sixty. Uh, I, thought, I talked about it so much. Sue said, "Are you okay? Do you need a counselor?" <laughs> And I said, yeah, I probably need a counselor for many reasons, okay? But not because of 60. I felt like God said, the 60s are going to be a great decade for you. And they were. So then she asked me as I was approaching 70, has God said anything to you about the 70s? And I said, yeah. He said, this will be a very fruitful season for us. And it already has been. And we're, I'm, I'm only like a couple years in. I think God wants to say the same thing to you. Sorry, Steve did that regularly last weekend. Uh, 
I want to learn from him, but not that. Um, whatever season you're in, he wants it to be very fruitful. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example of someone who lived a really fruitful life his whole life long. And we're going to start today looking at his letter to the Philippian believers uh, over these next few weeks. And he's writing that kind of toward the end of his life. And he's got so much wisdom to share with them and, by extension, with us. The Holy Spirit worked through Paul to change the world. He wants to do the same thing through you. And so I'm going to tell you... Four things that I think we can learn from Paul from this passage we're going to read, Philippians 1, 1 through 11, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into the passage and pull them out. So they're going to come up on the screen. <clears throat> Four things to do to live a really fruitful life in, in the season you're in and every season. One, choose to model the, the life you want to encourage others to live. In other words, Choose to be the best example you can be of what you hope for for others. I remember when Sue and I, again, were raising our kids, again, another really wise person said, <clears throat> your kids might listen to what you say once in a while, but they'll always notice what you do. So he said, it's great if, those, if your words and your actions can, like, begin to match more, but really try to be the example of what you hope for for your children. And so that was convicting and like a little scary and like, oh Lord, uh, <laughs> do you want more of that? I remember one time when I got like, sorry, mad. That's one of my challenges that Jesus has been working on for 53 years, which is why I'm teaching a class on how to be good and angry. I know how to be bad and angry. <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to be good. Uh, and I remember praying and I saying, oh, Jesus. And Jesus said, do you, do, you, do you like want more of that in your family? I said, I don't. Please help me. He said, I will. But you're, you need, he's speaking to just me personally, you need to really focus here and get the help you need. And so I began to do that. Numbers of you have prayed for me and I'm grateful. Model the kind of life you encourage others to live. To give thanks, pray, give thanks, rejoice for all the partners that God gives you to do life and ministry with. Three, show love and affection to God's people and the people around you more and more and more. And this is, this is, this is becoming increasingly important to me. To say it verbally, to show it physically. I didn't, did not grow up in a family that knew how to do that very well. Thankfully, all of us came to Jesus. My sisters, my parents, they're with Jesus now. And we learned to hug each other. I don't remember being hugged hardly at all growing up. Uh, and it, it, that actually wasn't helpful for me. Uh, but, but Jesus knows. And friends, none of us have gotten everything we needed in our families of origin or, or like even right now. And it's in those gap areas that God really works. He wants to draw us close. Give thanks and rejoice. Show love and affection. And then pray. Pray for what's most important. And we'll talk about that later. For your family, friends, our family, yourself. Philippians is a great letter. I think it's really relevant to our community right now. Uh, Philippian church was one of the great churches in the book of Acts. No, people were known for their hospitality and generosity. Uh, Sue and I and our team, when we came here, we wanted this church to be known for hospitality and generosity. 
And by the grace of God, I think we are. Now, do we need to grow more in hospitality, grow more in general? Of course. But friends, you, just, there's a, you have a good reputation outside of the, this church for hospitality and generosity. They had many committed and empowered leaders. They were full of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and they were a supernatural church where God did things that no one else could do. And they were experiencing a very difficult season, full of attacks from without, conflicts from within. The whole story found in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to weave a few highlights in as I read, but I want to pray first. Lord, we thank you today that you love us and you want us to experience uh, this season as being a fruitful one. And every season we live through, whether we're young, in the middle of life, or in the, quote, mature years. And we thank you. When we pray, Holy Spirit, come upon us today as we look at this passage. Speak to us. Encourage us. Give us strong hope, we pray in Jesus' name. All right, Philippians 1, 1 to 2 says this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's people, God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So Paul starts with by identifying himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. Now he does that a couple other places. In those places he also references he's an apostle. Uh, he doesn't reference that here because they, they know that. These are his friends. He doesn't have to like explain who he is. They know that. Interestingly to me, if you read Peter, James, Jude also say they're slaves of Christ Jesus. What are, they trying to, what are they trying to say to us with that phrase? I think they're trying to say and emphasize they belong to Jesus, their loving and wise master. And they want to follow him completely and do whatever he tells them to do. They're grateful that Jesus has set them free from whatever has held them from back from fulfilling God's purpose, all their sins, by dying and rising from the dead. So what's Paul doing here? I think he is modeling the kind of life that he is going to urge the Philippians to live. If you read Philippians 2, he'll talk to them about, about not only being interested in their own interests, but in the interests of others. That they're to humble themselves like Jesus humbled himself by becoming a human being and humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death to rescue us. He is the prototype. He is the model. And, and uh, Paul in, in Philippians will show us other models too, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who lived this kind of a life. Now he's writing it to all the people. He wants this for everyone. And he does reference church leaders and deacons. He usually doesn't reference that. He does hear why. All right, this is my, my theory. You know where churches have the most conflict and challenge? How many of you know what's coming? It's among leaders. Why? Because leaders have vision. Leaders have energy. Leaders want to get things done. They want to go somewhere. They want to lead. And guess what? We don't always agree on how to get where we need to go. And so in churches where you have a lot of leaders, you know what you have? You have collisions. You have people bumping up against each other. And the Philippians were having that. We've had that here. We'll never have it again. Not true. Uh, and, and so if we're going to be fruit, the most fruitful and faithful people, we need to learn how to work out those conflicts. 
Paul will later in, in Philippians 4 say, hey, there's two wonderful ladies, Judea and Syntyche. They have worked so hard with me in preaching the gospel, and they're having a little struggle right now. Would you help them resolve this? All right. Paul wants the Philippians to live a life of unity, and you know how you get unity? You get unity through humbling yourself and realizing, hey, I've got, really, I've got ideas. I think many of them are really good. I think, honestly, some of them are the best ideas, or I wouldn't have them. <laughs> if you had the best ideas, I'd have your ideas. Anyway, you know, that's, pardon me, that's me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I need to realize I'm not the only one that has good ideas. Other people have ideas. I need your ideas. I need your insights. And so he's trying to help them do this. And so he says, I live this way. Now, interestingly, when the church in Philippi was starting, Paul came to Philippi at a low point in his life. He just had a really sharp disagreement with his close friend and mentor, Barnabas, over a young man named John Mark. John had left them during the first missionary journey. When they come to do their second journey, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, John Mark, by the way, was his nephew, so he had, like, special concern for him. He said, let's bring Mark along. And Paul said, uh-uh, he left us once. No, he's not ready for this. We're not taking him. And Barnabas said, yes, we are. Paul said, no, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Guess what? They separated. Paul took Silas. Barnabas took Mark. Now, Mark, it's, it's, this is a great story. Mark grew up wonderfully with Barnabas' encouragement, and he ended up writing, guess what? The Gospel of Mark, kind of important and helpful to us. And he and Paul got reconnected too, and Paul says later, bring Mark with you. He is so useful to me. They got this thing squared away, and Paul and Barnabas did too. For Paul and Barnabas, scholars think it was about seven years, but they got it squared away. So he came at a low point, and the Holy Spirit had stopped him from going to other places to preach the Gospel, and, and at night he had a vision of a man pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul sorted this out with his team. Really wise, if you get a vision like that, that's going to direct you. He talked about it with his team. They all concluded, yep, this is God. And, and the sense in the text is that they left in the middle of the night. Okay, we know the will of God now. Let's do it. So friends, <laughs> learn to wait for God's direction. And when you get it, do it. All right. That's what Paul did. That's, part of, that's, what, that's one way humility looks. You wait. But humility doesn't take your courage away. It doesn't take your strength away. It doesn't make you, pardon me, a wuss. Uh, humility is simply letting God guide your life, and he will energize, and he will make the very best use of all the gifts you have. All right. Second, give thanks, rejoice for all the partners God gives you. I'm so grateful. Sue and I are grateful for those the, the coming with a team here to plant this church. 20 adults, 20 children. Six of those kids were ours. Yay! We are so grateful for that team. We needed everyone. And then God has continued to add partners to us. You know, people like Pete, Justin, Gay, Becca, Marta and Antoine, Jeff, Janet, and that's just the staff. All of you, we have been partners together. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you've been my partners in spreading the good news. 
about Christ from the time you heard it till now. I'm certain that God who began a good work within you will continue this work until it's finally finished on the day Jesus Christ returns. So he's grateful and he's joyful because God has begun a good work and he's going to continue it. Now let me ask you this. Is the purpose of River Heights Vineyard to love God, love people, and change the world? That's a little trick question. No, it isn't. Do you know what the purpose is? It's to help a growing number of people love God, love people, and change the world. Yes, we are to do it, but we are to help a great many more people come to do this. That's the purpose, friends. And so Paul is saying something similar here. God's began a good work in you. He wants to transform your life, but he's got a bigger plan than that. He wants to use you to help other people experience his love and be transformed. It's both and. It is for you. He doesn't jump over you to get to somebody else that he wants to bless. He wants to bless you and bless through you to people all around you. When I went and worked with Mercy Vineyard a couple years and was wondering, boy, can I really be helpful here to this group? I remember the first Sunday I walked in and God said, I'm not going to jump over you to bless these people. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless them through you. Count on it. And by the grace of God, that happened the entire two years. And I'm forever grateful and I have lifetime friends now that I'd never met before. I'm thankful. God wants that for you. Paul had Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman. He had, a, he had, on the other end of the spectrum, he had a, a slave girl who had been controlled by her owners and by evil spirits that gave her the ability to predict the future. So Paul sees Lydia come to Jesus. She opens her, her home and the church starts there. This slave girl is telling people, hey, Jesus is or these guys are telling you about Jesus and so on. Paul knows it's off, but he continues to wait because he is a slave of Jesus. He wants to do what Jesus says. One day, Holy Spirit alerts Paul, today's the day to set this young girl free. And so he turns around, and in the authority of Jesus, again, last weekend, Steve talked about taking the authority that we have. And he just spoke, in the name of Jesus, leave. And that evil spirit left her. She was set free and became part of that community. And then the owners got really mad because she couldn't do any work for them anymore, and they beat up Paul and Silas and threw him in jail. That's the kingdom. Hey, great, she's free, and bam, you're in jail. All right, but they continued to worship while they were in jail. And God sent an earthquake, and then a jailer and his whole family came to Jesus. And so that, I think Luke on purpose says, a really wealthy person came to Jesus, and a, a super poor person and somebody in the middle. Because he says, the church is for everyone. Whether you have a lot of resources or hardly any resources, it's for you and me. I know telling the story about evil spirits can be a little freaky. Uh, let me just say this. Before we started the church, the vineyard pastors in the area prayed for Sue and I. And in that time, one of them looked at me and he said, like I see a critical, like evil spirit kind of, like sitting on your shoulder, whispering in your ear. And I totally knew it was right because I'm an analytical person. I like conversation. I like dialogue. Uh, sometimes it'll slide toward more, more, than, more of an argument than a dialogue. That's not so good. And when I'm at my worst, I can be a real pain in the butt. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand and say, yeah, I've seen you that do that. But it's true. Believe me, uh, there are some hands. Anyway, uh, so I knew immediately, uh, I've had someone help me that I didn't want their help that would stir this up. And so I started confessing my sins out loud. I didn't care who heard. You know, I just, I didn't, I didn't want this thing. 
And so I started confessing out loud, and after a while, they said, okay, I think you're good. And then they said, in Jesus' name, critical spirit, leave John right now, never return. And I know this is weird, but I've just got to say it to you because I think because God wants to free us all. Something left me. And then I've been on a 31-year-old journey not to be a pain in the butt, okay? And uh, to be a kind and a loving person, not losing my convictions. God doesn't want you to lose your convictions, but he wants you to express them kindly with love. And that's a journey I'm still on, and I appreciate your prayers. Can I say this to you? If you feel in some way stuck in your life, that there, maybe you feel like, oh, John, I feel like I've had like a not great helper too that I don't want anymore. We'd pray for you. If you feel stuck somewhere, we'll pray for you. Jesus wants you to be free. Give thanks for the partners God gives you to do life with. Show love and affection. I'm just going to, I'm coming out of, not running out of time here, so I'm just going to tell you a couple stories and pray. When I was working at Mercy and we were looking for the long-term lead pastor, I called a good friend of mine, David Parker, who's pastored the Desert Vineyard in, in the Lancaster, California. As he was a reference for some. And so we talked to him, and I didn't know that David had almost died. He had a violent form of cancer, and uh, we'd had him here several times, and we were friends at a distance. And I said, oh, David, I'm so sorry. He said, well, he didn't die, John. He was pretty weak, but he didn't die. And he said, but everybody thought I was dying, including me and my wife and my kids. And so people from all over the world sent me emails and cards and letters thanking me for my life. I got to like, see my like, memorial service, and then I, then I didn't die. <laughs> it was kind of wonderful, actually, hearing all these things. He said, but I want to tell you something as you're looking for this next person. Now, David's a really great preacher, a really great teacher. He's written a lot of really good Bible studies that have helped people all over the world. He said, not one person said, remember that message you gave on May 23, da-da-da? Not one person said that. Do you know what they said? Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being a kind person to me. Thank you for believing in me when I was at my lowest. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for being good to me, David. I tell you, friends, I can feel the emotion right now. It just hit me. Now, all of the other things, vision, prayer, ability to communicate, all that's important. Don't let me, no, I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying the core of this is being a kind and good person. That's what I pray for myself regularly. That's what I pray for you. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's what brought me to Jesus. It was the kindness of my sister and her friends. Show love and affection to all those around you. Pray for what's most important. Pray that your love would overflow, that kindness would grow, that our love would be full of knowledge of who God is and understanding means like what might be best in this situation. Pray for that. We like to respond to God with uh, worship and praying for each other. So I'm going to have the worship people come back up now. And uh, I want to pray for us and share, share some tips, things that you could do this week uh, to uh, just experience the hope that God has for you. Have a sense that this is a, he really wants to make this a fruitful season for you. He wants to walk with you the whole of your life. He wants to help you become a more kind, loving, gentle, strong person. He wants you to be the best you can be. Pete preached a couple weeks ago about times of refreshing from the Holy Spirit coming, that he felt like that's what God's doing. I agree with him. 
I think those times have, or, have already started to come. I think we have some of the first droplets of rain. I felt it last week, week during the Holy Spirit conference with Steve. Can I encourage you? Pray for this. I've had the privilege of being part of four spiritual awakenings. When I came to Jesus in the Jesus movement, the early charismatic renewal, the, the awakening that formed the vineyard, and then in the mid-90s, a wonderful awakening with hotspots in Toronto and Anaheim, Chicago, Atlanta, and right here. And do you know River Heights was right in the middle of that awakening? I remember Sue and Carrie went to a conference in Canada, and she comes back, and you know, we'd been gone a week, and I tried to do my best to care for all the other kids. They were kind of tired of me, and I might have been a little tired of them. And we go to the airport, and, and I'm, I'm going to give Sue a hug and thank her for being home. And she looks at me, and she says, we need to do some big meetings because wants to, God wants to do big things in the Twin Cities. And I smiled and said, yeah, I love you too. Anyway, <laughs> and she said, oh, I love you. But her faith and vision we ended up doing large meetings of 1,000 to 2,500 people, our little tiny church of 135 people, 18 days in the month of May. And we didn't die. We grew. And every one of the people that, is, that we have sent out to plant or replant a church, Gatlin's in Duluth, Ornquist in Detroit Lakes, Ken Wilson in Superior, Wisconsin, the Yonkers in White Bear Lake, the Friedlands in Richfield, the Schneiders in Turkey, we met them right then because God was doing something. He was pouring out his spirit. He was awakening people. He was healing and restoring, giving people vision for their lives that was bigger than they ever could have dreamed. Can I tell you, he wants to do that now, again, with us. Your part and mine. Let's pray. Let's cry out to God for that. Let's lean into the wind. Let's learn to put our sails up, as Steve said. I want to be in another awakening. How about you? Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray. And then I'd lo love to have people that regularly pray. If you could come up and be available. Jesus, this might be a day of freedom for you. And you felt that when I was talking about freedom. Please come and get freedom. Maybe you need a restoration of joy in your life. Jesus has that for you. Come and get that. Maybe you need to really have the conviction, yes, this is a good season for me. And you need someone to pray for you about that. Come and get prayer. Lord, we thank you today that you are the one who refreshes us. You are the one who leads us forward. You are the one that causes us to be fruitful. Jesus, you produce this kind of fruit by your spirit in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that around the world right now, there are signs of awakening. Some nations, it's full on. Some nations, it's beginning. I think, Lord, it's beginning here, and I'm asking for more. I'm asking that you'd pour out your spirit upon us. I want to encourage you. Last, uh, you know, last week when when I gave my retirement to Jesus, I found out that Sue was doing the same thing, giving her retirement to Jesus. So, who knows what's going to happen for us? It's going to be good. I want to encourage you. Give this season of your life to Jesus, whatever it is, young, middle, mature years. Give it to Jesus. Lord, we give our seasons to you. We give our real lives, the ones we live right now, to you. Heal us, free us, empower us, bless us so we can bless others. Uh, I had a picture in the first service. I'll share it again. I saw someone that was kind of like just wrapped up in ropes. And someone came to pray. And the presence of Jesus came by the Spirit, and all of those ropes fell to the ground. 
If you feel that way, if you feel like, I just feel stuck. I do not like this part about myself right now. I want to be free. Please come. Get prayer. Justin is going to dismiss us when the time is right. Please, let's worship now and receive what God has for us.